Hello and welcome to the Austin Oaks live stream Sunday service. We are so glad to have you here this morning. My name is Chad McCartney. I'm the pastor of discipleship here at Austin Oaks Church, and I'm really excited to be with you this morning and share with you some wonderful truths we're going to look at uh, from God's Word this morning. If you're new to Austin Oaks Church, we want you to know that we're a church that strives to be all about Jesus. We really want Him to be front and center in everything that we do and help people understand that our Faith is not just a religion, it's really a relationship with God that we have through the person of Jesus Christ. So really what we want to do is help you meet him, know him, and follow him in your everyday life. In fact, you're going to be able to see that happen uh, so clearly in today's message as we dive into the passage we're going to look at today. We're in the midst of a series titled Awake. And Awake is based on a book that Paul wrote or a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And so we've gotten through the first chapter already. We're into the second chapter where uh, Paul is teaching this newfound church, these brand new believers about what it means to be the church. So this couldn't be a better Sunday uh, for you to be with us because we're constantly needing to better understand what it means to be part of of the church, which is a body or a group of people who are trusting Jesus as their Savior, who are following Him. So today we're going to take a look at that. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump into Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to be in verses 11 through 22 today. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22. Let's pray and take a look at what this has to say for us this morning. Father God, thank you so much. Uh, that we have this blessing of your word and your truth, and that we have the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, to have a relationship with you, to know who you are, and to know uh, your plan for us and the purpose that we have in life. And Lord, as we uh, look at these truths this morning, my prayer would be that uh, our hearts would be open, that our minds would be open to hearing from you, from hearing uh, from these truths, to challenge us, Lord, no matter whether we've been in the church and heard these things for many, many years, or maybe this is the very first time we've ever uh, heard a truth or anything explained from the Bible. Whatever our situation might be, Lord, would you send your spirit to guide us uh, and to lead us to truth that we might better love you as well as our fellow man. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it doesn't take too much knowledge of history to know uh, that the church has had quite a past, uh, whether it be the Crusades that fueled the religious wars between Christians and Muslims over the Holy Land, uh, all the way up to the systemic racism uh, that expected or, or that accepted horrific treatment of blacks and other minorities in the first few centuries and beyond of our nation. Uh, all these things have been challenges and, and blots on the church. Sure, these epic failures certainly didn't characterize every Christian or every church, and they certainly don't characterize the teachings of Jesus. But the fact that they existed as long as they did clearly communicates that a lot of people within the church who considered themselves within the church uh, didn't stand up against these things and allowed them to continue. So the question we want to look at today is how do we avoid these same pitfalls today? 
How do we not repeat some of these mistakes? How do we understand as a church how to move forward and not continue to walk in some of these dark spots that taint our history as a people? In fact, here's the bigger question is how do we avoid becoming irrelevant, indifferent, or even corrupt as a church? Understanding and living out God's plan for his people on earth is absolutely central. And if we don't understand what God has for us, if we don't understand who he's called us to be as his church and what that looks like in this world, we are bound to repeat many of the mistakes that we have in our past. So in the last few weeks, if you've been with us, you know we've been examining God's plan for making us right with him. In fact, the beginning of this chapter was all about the, the problem between humanity and God. Uh, and us and our rebellion and God and his righteousness and how God reached down and reconciled us to himself. It's this vertical relationship that makes us right with God. Today, Paul's going to turn and use kind of the similar format of this is what we used to be like and this is who we are now, but he's going to focus on the horizontal aspect of the church, on how we are to live as a people on this earth with other people and so three things we want to look at today in this passage, three questions that Paul's going to address that are so important for us as a church to avoid ever falling back into some of the, 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 the blemishes of our past or into new ones we may face in the future. Three things that Paul challenges us to remember that will help us walk and be the church that God has called us to be. The first is who we are. Who, excuse me, not who we are, but who we were. See, if we don't remember our past, if we forget our past, we're bound to repeat it. So if we don't remember who we were in the past, if we don't remember where we've come from or what's shaped us in the past, what's influenced us in the past, we are bound to repeat some of those mistakes that we've made in the past. The second thing we're gonna see is who we are. So not just who we were, but who we are. We're gonna look at our identity in Christ. You see, a wrong identity will always result in wrong behavior. And if we don't understand who we are, if we don't properly understand who God has called us to be and made us to be in Christ, then we will continue to act improperly towards each other and even people outside the church. And lastly, we're going to answer the question of how do we get here? How did we get here to who we are now from who we were in the past? So if you have your Bible with you, open it up again to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. I'm just going to read through the whole passage to start this morning, and then we'll break it down and look at these four or three questions that we see here in this passage. Paul says in verse 11, so then, and that's just reminding us of what we just learned, because of this idea of us being reconciled with God, because we were once dead in our sin and now we've been made alive in Christ, so then, as a result, this is what God has called us to, or this is what he wants us to remember. He says, remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh 
by human hands. So let me explain this a little bit so we understand as we're reading. Paul's using some terms that were common in his day of how the world was often divided in that time. In Paul's day, one of the common divisions was the world was divided into two groups. One was Jewish. That's how the Jewish people saw it. They were God's people under the Abrahamic covenant. And then anyone outside that covenant was considered a Gentile. So you might say that a Gentile were people who were outside of God's promises. And so when he says the circumcised and uncircumcised, circumcision was a mark of being part of God's covenant people. So what he's saying is during that time, one of the divisions that existed was people referred to each other in these two categories. You were Jewish or you were not Jewish. You were circumcised or you were uncircumcised. And they often became derogatory terms for how they divided up the world. So he's saying to us, hey, at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcised by those called the circumcised, which is done in the flesh by human hands. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of heaven, of Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace, who made both groups one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility in his flesh He made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built up for God's dwelling in the Spirit. So three things we want to see here. Who we were, what was our past, uh, who we are, who are we currently, what's our identity now as the people of God, and lastly, how did we get here? Now, let me just clarify a little bit. This is a message that's very much geared for the church, for those who are believers in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that if you haven't taken that step yet in your life that it's invaluable to you. It's still very valuable to you. You just need to understand that I'm going to be speaking primarily to the people who are, would call themselves Christians or part of the church because God is really speaking to us directly. Paul is speaking to us directly to say, wait a minute, church. You need to remember who you were. You need to remember who you are and how you got here because if we forget these things, it will deeply impact how we relate to each other, and how we relate to the world. So listen in, Uh, you're welcome to, but I'm speaking primarily to those who would call themselves Christians, and these uh, will be spoken specifically to to them. So the first thing we say here is who we were, Uh, not forgetting our past. Paul says here, so then remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh. 
Paul calls this out and says, hey, you got to remember, and he's speaking to the people in Ephesus who were not Jewish. This is outside Jerusalem now, so this is what would be Gentile territory, which is true of most of us. The majority of us here in the United States and in our church would be considered Gentile believers. We weren't part of the Jewish nation, and most of us don't have Jewish roots. So he's saying, remember that. And one mistake we often make as Christians is we forget our past as outsiders to God's promises because it's been so long. And that could be in a couple different ways. It could be so long because maybe we were raised in a Christian home, and so we've heard these truths all our lives, and so we've either forgotten what it's like to be separated from them, or maybe we've never known that, or maybe because um, we've just been a believer for quite some time, and we've forgotten who we were and what we were like when we were separated, when we did not know the gospel, and we hadn't trusted in Jesus Christ. And, and when we're in that mindset, when we forget who we were, we often begin to divide the world into two categories. There's God's people, which I'm part of. I'm kind of in the inner group. And then there's those people out there. And we forget that we have all been, quote unquote, those people. And we're going to see that God doesn't divide things like that. And so it's so important we remember where we come from. In Paul's day, it was this Jewish or Gentile division uh, that divided things up. But guess what? Most of us here would be those Gentiles. In fact, our ancestry would be those who were far from God. The majority of us would fall into that category. So what this passage is saying with us about us is a couple of things. One, it says we were without Christ. We didn't have knowledge of the coming Messiah like the Jewish people did. We didn't know that. We were without uh, citizenship. We didn't belong to this covenant people of God and the blessings that came with being part of that. We were without the covenants, which were God's promises to his people. We had no knowledge of those things. And we were without hope and without God, meaning essentially we were alienated from the possibility of knowing God because we were separated physically from the place where we could hear about him or worship him in Jerusalem. You see, we often don't think this way when we read the Bible, especially as Gentiles. We read the Old Testament, and do you know what we most naturally do? We associate ourselves with the Jewish people. We put ourselves in that category of God's people. But the reality is, you and I were the Gentiles. Our ancestry is the nation's who were dire enemies of Israel, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Medes and the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. That's our ancestry, not the Jewish people, unless you happen to be Jewish, but most of us are not. So the reality is, we were enemies of God. In fact, we didn't know anything about them. The spiritual state of most of us outside of Israel was that we didn't have access to this special revelation. We didn't have the opportunity to know God. And not only that, think about this for a moment. Back in those days, every nation kind of had its own God. In fact, nations were known by their particular gods. So if you were to not or stop worshiping the God of your particular nation, you literally were saying, I reject my culture, I reject my nationality, and ultimately, I reject 
my family, my people. That's what it meant for you to leave your religion of that time. So let me ask you a question. Raise your hand. Do this right where you're sitting now. Raise your hand if you had any say into the time period in which you were born. Anyone out there? Said, hey, you know, God, I'd kind of like to be, you know, maybe in the mid-1900s. I kind of like the, the musical styles of the 50s. So if you could just slip me right in there, that would be great. Anyone have that experience? I think I know the answer. None of us did. So let me ask you something. What if you had been born as a Gentile, like most of us are now? What if you had been born back in these Old Testament times as a Gentile? What if you'd been born in the Babylonian nation or the Assyrian nation or some other nation that was apart from the Israelites of that time. What would that have looked like for you? You would have been separated. You may have lived your whole life never hearing anything about the true God. And that would totally have changed your past and your future. And Paul's saying that we need to be mindful of that. Even now as Gentiles, the only reason we've heard this truth is because Christians who have gone before us have spread it because God has made a way for that knowledge to go beyond just a nationality and spread across, across the globe. And most of us don't give any thought to that. We just think, well, of course I'm on God's side. Like We tend to think much better of ourselves than we should and think, why wouldn't God want me on his team? The fact is, just a flip of a switch and you being born at a different time could have changed your eternity forever. So let's make this a little bit more personal. What if you were born even today in a part of the world that has little or no access to the gospel, there are still uh, significant portions of this world that have never heard the gospel. They don't have access to the gospel like we do in the United States. Again, you didn't choose where you were born. What if that was your situation? What if you were born into a family that never shared the gospel with you? And maybe some of you have, but maybe a family that never shared, and then you never ran in circles where anyone shared the gospel. Maybe even pockets within our city. What if you were born in a part of the city where your family never shared that with you? They weren't part of that, and the people they ran with weren't part of that, and you happened to never come across another person. Or if you did, they never took the time to share the gospel with you or invite you to some place where you could hear it. Think of how different your life would be. Think about the relationships you have in Christ within your church, the fellowship you enjoy, the depth of relationships you enjoy because you are part of this people and remove every single one of them because you were put or born in a time or a place where you never had access to that. As a Gentile, that is totally possible. You see, Paul reminds us that if we don't step and think about our past, even if we have to go back many generations to our Old Testament ancestors and our non-Jewish ancestors and think, why was I born at a time in a place where I had access to the gospel? What has changed since that time and how have I benefited from it? We'll start to see other people 
differently? How would you see someone who was born in another place that never had access to the gospel, only knew the God that their nationality worshipped, would be ostracized and rejected if they ever left that God, and so they were trained up under those teachings? How do we see them? Do we see them as, as a creation of God whom he loves and wants to share the gospel with? Or do we immediately write them off as something less than us because they're not under the same or they haven't had the same access to things that we have? Paul says if we don't go back and look at the grace that's come into our lives to help us and make us where we are today, then we will constantly live as the world lives, dividing the world into false divisions of haves and have-nots or God's people and not God's people somehow because of our own merit as opposed to the way God actually sees the human race. In fact, even the Jewish people, we can say, well, look, what about the Jews? They're the, the lucky ones. The fact is, even the Jewish people the Israelites had a Gentile history. The Jewish people, or Israel, didn't exist forever. They were called out. Abraham was called out from a pagan nation by God. He was part of this Gentile category as well before the Jewish people ever came about. You can read about that in Acts chapter 7. But before Abraham, there wasn't much spiritual hope or revelation at all on the earth. In fact, we're just six chapters into the opening book of the Bible that kind of tells us about the beginnings of all things. In the sixth chapter, we're barely into the book. We're hardly through the introduction. And here's what's recorded about what God says when he looks down at the generations of human beings after Adam and Eve rebelled and sinned and went their own way. This is what God says. When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and he was deeply grieved. Church, this is the actual origins. This is actually all of our past. You see, if we're going to go back, we shouldn't just go back to the Old Testament because even there, God in his grace has already begun to create another plan and step into a broken, fallen world by grace. But just prior to that, we were hopeless. We had no hope. We were without Christ, and we had no future at all because we were doing what every single one of us human beings will do and want to do apart from God do our own thing we want to be our own boss we want to be our own God and even as God's people most of Israel's history reveals its hostility toward God just read the Old Testament even those who had his revelation the majority of the time, they weren't following him. They wandered away from him. They hated him or they rejected him in so many situations. So all of humanity really reveals this incredible hostility that exists in every generation and throughout every generation and culture of one group versus another or even us towards God. Just think of some of them. Think of the Rwandan genocide that revealed one group's hatred of another group. Think of the Holocaust 
and the hatred between two groups of people there. Think of the Irish Catholics and the British Protestants and the hatred that fueled many, many generations of feuds between them. Think of the Israeli and the Arab conflicts that we still see and have been going on for many, many centuries. Think of the political conflicts that exist in our country that's a fairly peaceful process compared to many nations, but yet intense political conflict and how we categorize people in one way or another and have this hostility even towards one another. Think of the racial conflicts that we've been dealing with. And again, long-stemmed hostility of one group towards another group. You see, human nature seeks some form of measure that we can use to establish our own personal identity as better than someone else or some other group. It's just how we try to justify our existence. Our human nature seeks some kind of measure, and we usually create the measure. Maybe we join with others that create that same measure, and we seek to boost ourselves over other people or other groups in order to justify our existence. That's just how we operate. Uh, there's a funny story or a joke about uh, a man who was deserted on an island for several years. Many years he was stuck there and, and no ships or anything came by to pick him up. And one day uh, a ship was passing by and they saw his, his smoke signals that he was putting up and the ship turned and came over to the island and a couple uh, gentlemen came off the ship and walked onto the island and they met this man that had been living on this island for several years and as they greeted him and said, are you okay? You know, I hope, you know, every, everything's okay. What's your name? They get those basics done. But then they kind of glanced into the background and they noticed that there was three different buildings uh, that were built behind him. And so they thought on a curiosity, they said, well, like, you're the only one here on the island, right? And he goes, yeah, it's just me. And he says, well, like, what's up with the three buildings? What's that one over there? He says, oh, that's my house. That's, you know, where I lived uh, the whole time I was here, you know, after I was, knew I was stranded, I built this as some shelter. And they go, okay, well, what's the other building over there? And he goes, well, well that's my church. I'm a Christian. And so I wanted a church to go to, so I built that other building. I said, okay, I, I guess that, that works for you. But then they said, well, what's the other building over there? And he says, oh, well, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> Yeah, you might get that as you're uh, having lunch today. But the point of that is, is we're constantly in feuds, even as Christians. We are constantly looking for someone to call the bad guy. Even if it's a church, we're going to find a church that's not as good as ours or has different beliefs than ours or some issue that we have with them. And we're going to somehow hold this little bit of hostility towards them because it somehow makes us feel better or more justified in how we're acting or believing. And that's just who we are. We all do it. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. You walk down the street and you see that certain person or that certain group and internally you roll your eyes and just kind of go, oh, it's those people again. Or they're doing the same things that they've always done. You know you do it. It's one of the ways we act to make ourselves feel better. Some people are not religious or moral enough for us. And then there's those others that are too religious and too moral. It doesn't matter what their category is or where they land. If they're different than us, we harbor a little bit of hostility towards them to vilify them to make ourselves feel better. 
fact, it's going on right now. I feel one of the, the ways it's happening now is there's the, the vigilant mask wearers and people who are really protective and social distancing, and they are looking down at the people who are refusing to wear masks and are more free-spirited and going outside. And then those who are more free-spirited and saying, hey, to each their own, they say to each their own, but they vilify the ones that always have to have masks on or want more quarantine instructions or more guidance. And we create these hostilities and divisions between each other because we somehow have to justify ourselves. This is human nature. It's been going on from the beginning of time. And unless we remember who we were and even who we are now at times, we will never learn to live with the people God has called us to live with in a loving way. So who are we now? Paul goes on to say, hey, not only should we remember who we were and what our background is, but he wants to, more importantly, help us understand who we are. And he continues his thought from verse 11 where he says, so then remember, he gives us a little interlude and we'll come back to the middle part. But then in verse 19, he goes on to talk about who we are right now as the church. This is who we are. He says, so then you are no longer foreigners and strangers, meaning you once were like these Gentiles. You once were far from God. You once were separated from the truths and the gospel and all these things. That characterized our past or our ancestors' past. But he said, no longer are you foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Notice how he builds this as he goes. At first, we're citizens, so we're part of a, a nation, you could speak you could say, a larger group. But then he makes it even more personal, and he says, you're members of God's household. So now we go from not just nations, we're part of this great nation of God's, we're part of his family, much more personal even. And he's going to get even more personal. And he says, members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him... The whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together for God's dwelling in the Spirit. And there's the next step. Not only are we citizens in his kingdom, not only are we part of his family, but we're actually indwelled in an intimate personal way by God himself. He says that we're like a building that he's building and each one of us is a piece of that building and it's like a new temple that God then inhabits. And so we are there as God's dwelling place, as God's people. So we have this idea of citizenship, of family, of intimacy and purpose. All of these things characterize who we now are as God's people. You know, I, I remember the first time I had the privilege of doing uh, a benediction at one of the U.S. citizenship ceremonies uh, in Laredo, Texas, in a federal court. What, the 15 years that I was down there, uh, we had a federal judge that attended our church, and so I'd often get invited to go down and do a benediction at the beginning of these ceremonies. And it was one of the most powerful experiences uh, I remember, the first time I did this, to watch 
people sitting in this courtroom, many of who had spent years going through a, a pretty difficult process of becoming citizens of the United States from many different countries. They did this. They just happened to be in Laredo for the ceremony. And in the ceremony, the judge would call them to renounce their previous citizenship of whatever nation or country they'd come to, they had to renounce their loyalty to that prior nation and now accept and walk in this new citizenship and all the benefits and privileges and rights that came with it here in the United States. And it was like, wow, this is an amazing experience. People who are willing to walk away from who they were in the past and what defined them in the past, and embrace something totally new in their lives. And that's so similar to what God has called us to and what he's saying right here. Our new identity in Christ, our new identity in the church, supersedes our earthly identities here on earth. It doesn't mean they just go away, but this new identity always supersedes them. Meaning, as you look at me, I'm, I'm white, right? But I'm a Christian first. I'm a Christian first, but my nationality or my, my race would be white. But guess what? My Christianity always supersedes and instructs everything that I do within my race. It doesn't allow me to use my race to compare me to someone else. I start with who I am in Christ. I'm a Christian but I'm a Texan, second. Yeah, I'm going to let that set in a little bit because a lot of Texans take uh, offense to that. In fact, Texas is the only state I've ever lived in or even been to that flies the Texas flag at the same height that it flies our United States flag. That says a lot about what Texans think about Texas. But you need to understand that you're a Christian first and then you're a Texan. And that's so important, even as we interact with various things that are going on in our world today. I'm a Christian first, and I'm a McCartney second, meaning my identity in Christ supersedes my identity in my physical family. That means when I see someone in the world whose skin color is different than mine, whose nationality is different than mine, whose education is different than mine, whose socioeconomic class is different than mine, yet they're a Christian, then I have a greater bond, I have a more important bond and a more profound connection with them than I have with the people I grew up with who lived on the same street, went to the same schools, and possibly even lived in the same home that I lived in, yet aren't Christians. Let that sink in for a moment. That this new identity that we have as Christians, who we are, supersedes every other thing that we choose to identify ourselves with in this world. And that's so key when it comes to identifying and how we relate with others. You see, in Christ's church, these differences are always superseded by a common bond and a common future that we have with other believers. You see, the church is based on who we are becoming and where we are going, not on who we were and where we come from. 
Let me say that again. The church is based on who we are becoming and where we are going, what our future is, not on where we come from or where we've been. It's so important that we see these distinctions and never forget who we are. So the last thing we need to see here is is how did we get here? So if that's who we were back then and this is who we are right now, how did we get here? How did we get to this place that we're in right now? And Paul talks about this right in the middle of the passage. It's sandwiched between the who we were and who we are is how we got there. In verse 13, he says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have brought near by the blood of Christ. And here he's talking about, in one sense, geographically, meaning those who were far from Israel didn't know this. Those people who were far from hearing God's word, they're being brought near because of how the gospel is spreading and and changing the whole world. And he says, for he is our peace who made both groups into one, meaning Jew and Gentile, he's making into one. He's bringing all people into one unified people. And he tore down the, indiv- the dividing wall of hostility. There's that is, that, that hostility, that hatred that came up because of these differences. It says, in his flesh, he made of no effect the law consisting of commands and expressed in regulations so that he might create in himself one new man from the two, resulting in peace. He did this so that he might reconcile both to God in one body through the cross by which he put the hostility to death. He came and proclaimed the good news of peace to you who were far away, and listen to this, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to God the Father. Here is the power that made this new citizenship possible. This is how we went from being without hope and without Christ and without God and without these covenants and these blessings to suddenly being part of them. That's what we see here. This passage isn't simply seeing that that people who were geographically far from God and from Jerusalem are the ones in need of God. It can't be. Because it says that Jesus preached peace to both those who were far and near, that both of them were being reconciled into this new person. You see, in Jesus, God reconciled the sinner who was far away from knowing about God and sought salvation themselves in their own ways or in their own created gods. That's what God was doing in Jesus. He reconciled them who were far from him and were creating their own ways of salvation. And in Jesus, he reconciled the sinner who knew quite a bit about God and that falsely thought that knowing about God or thinking they were part of God's people automatically saved them. You see, the problem in our world has never been those people without God versus those with God. The problem has always been that every person, despite where they were born, despite what group they're part of, is separated from God. And we often find two different ways to save ourselves. It may be completely rejecting God and his plan at all, and and that means we're going to save ourselves through all the things that we begin to worship in this world, and that's pride. 
just as much as saying, hey, I, I know things about God, and I'm obeying and, and following all these rules and regulations, so, you know, God, like, you, you, you owe it to me that you saved me, and by the way, all you people out there, you better respect me, you better not treat me poorly, because I'm a good person, I'm on God's side, and I do things that God says. That's just as prideful as the person who outright rejects God. And Jesus is telling us here, Paul is writing to us here and telling us both of these needed to be reconciled to God. Some of them were far away, meaning they didn't have the same access to hearing these truths, and some were right here and nearby. You might equate this to what happens, I think, a lot even in today's church. People who grow up in the church and they got all the Awana badges that you could possibly get, and they have you know, bookshelves full of Bible studies they've completed. They've done all these things, and they've been near God in the sense that they've been near his truth, and they've heard it their whole lives, but they are so prideful and arrogant and really believe that they deserve to be saved and that God, should, if he's going to save anyone, it should be someone like them, that they somehow merit God's favor and salvation because of all the things they've done. But ultimately, they've made themselves God. They feel like they can manipulate and control and put God in their debt by the things that they've done. And what this passage is teaching us is that there's really only one race. There's not God's race and then other people. There's only one race. It's the fallen human race. That's it. That's the only race that exists. And only by the grace of Jesus, by the work that he did, is anyone accepted and lovingly brought into this family. Look at what it says here. It says, But now in Christ, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It goes on to say, obviously, that that was true of both of them. Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. He died for the sins of Israel, just like he died for the sins of the world. But it was through his blood. What does that mean here? It means that Jesus Christ was the only man. He's maybe what you'd call the only other race that existed. He's the race that was perfectly obedient to God the Father, coming as God the Son, taking on human flesh, and living the only sinless life that was worthy of salvation. And instead of being whisked into heaven, instead of just being rewarded as God's people or person and, and receiving everything that he deserved, instead he willingly chose to die on a cross. He chose to experience the hostility that you and I deserve from God because of how we've rejected him and how we reject and treat other people. Jesus willingly experienced that hostility. Look at what it says here. It says, he put the hostility to death. Verse 16, Jesus put the hostility to death. Well, wait a minute. Like, I don't remember hostility dying on that day that Jesus was crucified. So how did he put the hostility to death? He put it to death by becoming that hostility for us, by receiving the hostility that we deserve, the only true and righteous hostility, which was God's righteous hostility towards a rebellious and prideful 
and hostile people. And Jesus said, I'll take that upon myself. You turn the hostility that this world deserves because it's done nothing but treat others with hostility and God with hostility. Jesus said, God, the Father, you put that hostility on me so that we can unconditionally welcome any who will trust in me, who will follow me into your kingdom, to be part of your kingdom, part of your family, and indwelled by you as a temple. This is the beauty of Christianity. It's the beauty of the church, the beauty of Jesus Christ, that no matter where you grew up, the gospel is still the same. Far or near, it's about what Jesus has done for you. And recognizing that, whether you grew up in a moral home or with all these truths being taught to you and for the most part you live them out, one of the worst things we can possibly believe is that we've been good enough to merit salvation because that drags God's holiness down to our level. And until we've been broken and recognize the grace that's come into our lives that has even put us into the family or the location in which we've been born, we will fail to grasp the beauty and the richness of the gospel. Do you see how radical this is? How verse 17 says that both of them needed to hear the gospel, whether they were within or near to God's truth or they were far from it or estranged from it. This is one of the most radical truths about the gospel because it, it, it refuses us to separate people into these categories. You can't say, hey, look over there. Those people, they're far away from God. They're living their lives the way they want. They're rejecting God as Savior and Lord. Uh, but, but look at the people who are close, Right? Look at the people who are living good lives. They're, they're living good lives. They're saying, oh, Lord, now you have to bless me. Now you've got to take me to heaven. And, and don't you treat me poorly out there because I'm a good person. I deserve to be respected. But they're just as far from God. They may be closer local in locality because they see his truth, but they're just as far spiritually because they're still not trusting in the work and the merit of Jesus Christ for their salvation. They're thinking that they're good enough to earn it. And the gospel says whether you're a prostitute or you're a pillar of the church, you're a sinner separated from God. And the only means by which you can have a relationship with him, the only means by which you can be considered a citizen in his kingdom, the only means by which you can be adopted into his family and built into the holy temple of his indwelling is through trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. By believing that he's the only one who ever lived perfectly before God and that he went on that cross willingly to accept the punishment and the hostility that you and I righteously deserved so that he could offer us in grace the salvation that we don't deserve. That's it. That's why it humbles and levels the playing field because there is no economic background, there's no racial background, there's no cultural background, there's no educational background that can possibly merit salvation. 
nor withhold it. It's simply through Jesus Christ. And that's what the gospel does. It humbles you out of the kind of pride that we so often manifest by comparing ourselves to others. You see, the gospel reveals that there's really only one race, the fallen human race. And now God calls us, the church, to be his dwelling place on earth. This merciful, peacemaking, reconciling God, he dwells in us, not in this building, but in us, his people, his living, breathing, walking, moving, traveling people. So guess what? Guess what kind of people he wants us to be because of that truth? He wants us to be reconcilers. He wants us to bring near those who are far, just like he brought near us when we were far. He wants us to challenge those who are near so they never miss the gospel and mistakenly think that they are privileged or better than others because they've been around this truth their whole life and maybe even lived some of it out. He wants us to think about those in our city who are far from him and lay down our lives so we might help them be brought near. So let me leave you with just a couple questions to walk away with today. Who in your life seems far away and maybe even hostile toward you? Who, who is it that you just can't seem, eye to, seem to, to see eye to eye with politically or economically or relationally or, or even maritally? Sometimes they live right inside our own home. Who is it that you are still harboring hostility towards? Because when you lean into that question, when you're honest about it, it'll begin to reveal your need to remember who you were, remember your past, and remember who you now are. See, God wants you to bring them near. Have you prayed for them? Are you willing to knock down the wall that's between you and them as being secondary in order to, to seek out reconciliation? And help them see the wall that God has knocked down between him and them. What are we willing to do as a church to reach more people in our city who are far from God? Because this isn't just a personal thing we need to live out. It's really a corporate thing we are called to live out as a church. Are we content letting thousands of people in our city and elsewhere be far from God? remain far from him, maybe never having a chance to hear the gospel, even right in our neighborhoods? Or will we use our lives and our resources to be a church that pursues those who are far away and provides a place for them to be brought near, to hear this truth, and to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior and be welcomed into this family? Let me ask this, are we so concerned about our personal rules and regulations like we saw here 
Or can we die to our personal rules and regulations just like Jesus died and put to death the law and these regulations? Can we die to those things as well in order to gain a chance to preach to those who are far away, to those who can't get over the hostility they have over all our rules and regulations just like the Gentiles couldn't with the Jewish people and the Jews were unwilling to walk out and be a light to the world? Are we willing to die to some of our personal rules and regulations to earn the privilege to preach peace to those who are far away. Church, Jesus died willingly in the flesh to bring you and I peace. And now it's our turn to do the same for those who are still far away. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful that no matter what our past was, Lord, and it could have been any number of things, only by the sovereignty and goodness of your hand uh, have we even had an opportunity to hear these truths that we listen to today. So Lord, let us humbly receive them for the good truth that they are. Lord, let them Uh, sharpen us, let them challenge us, let them correct us, and even rebuke us if necessary. The church, Lord, we have, we've made many, many mistakes in our past. We have not lived up to the identity that you have purchased for us in Christ. We have forgotten too quickly who we were in the past, and even going back far enough to who our ancestors were and how far they were from you. So Lord, how in the world can we possibly look at those who might be far from you today any differently than we would want you to look at us when we or our ancestors were far, far away from you? Lord, forgive us for the mistakes of our past. But today, Lord, help us walk in light of this wonderful truth and embrace the calling, the identity that you have placed on us as a church, that our new citizenship, our new family, and our new personal intimate identity in you far exceeds any differences we might have with people in an earthly way. And help us show Show that love and that beauty and that gift in how we live every single day. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You all have a wonderful week.